Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is Two Catholic Dudes, and my name is Ryan Klaus. And my name is Danny Cleary. As always, we're not priests, we're not theologians, we're just two Catholic dudes talking about our faith. And uh, this week, we uh, aren't just two Catholic dudes anymore, we actually have a... Uh, Someone with a, a title for once. We have so. our first clergy member on the podcast with us. Yeah, right. Why don't so, you introduce our guest? So welcome, Todd Fredrickson. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. You are the first clergy on Two Catholic Dudes on episode number 40. This is 40. Yeah. Crazy. We wow. made it this far. But uh, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So yeah, we wanted to kind of talk about uh, the diaconate life. You're a baby deacon, right? This is still your first year? Yes, I I was is, ordained June of last year. Is that what they call it? I know they call them baby priests, but is it baby deacons too? Well, I mean, I'm always going to be a deacon, so probably makes sense for that I'd be a baby deacon right now, because I'll never <laughs> turn into a priest. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, so we we wanted to talk about uh, all things deacons on this episode. You know, we've had four episodes talking about COVID-19, talking about the pandemic, quarantine, all that. And we're, I'm sure we're going to touch on that. But we wanted just kind of a, a, a normal episode. And we've been wanting to get a clergy member on for quite a while. Uh, we're going baby steps, starting with the deacon. <laughs> we'll move our move our way up to priests eventually. But uh, we, got, we got an amazing You'll get amazing Bishop deacon. Barrett. That's, <laughs> That's, it. Right, That's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> One day. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's how this that's how this episode's going to go. But, like, we want to make sure we want to get intro- introductions down and get to know each other. Uh, I've known you for, uh, I don't know, how many, like, eight years now or something like that? Uh, yeah, probably. 2012, mm-hmm. 2013, somewhere around there. Yeah, so we met at a summer camp when I was still part of Jeremy and Ryan uh, way back in the day. And you're up, in, up near Santa Cruz, California, in Salinas, California. And uh, we went up and met in the Santa, Santa Cruz Mountains and did some, we did summer camps there. And then you guys brought me on again after Jeremy and Ryan split up. And uh, I really connected with you and your whole family. Uh, you have such a beautiful family and we would, we would just have the greatest time at camp. And we really bonded. And you guys have been kind of become my extended family, uh, my, my, my prayer family, my Catholic family, and just like my great friends. So... Uh, when we wanted a deacon on the show, we c- I couldn't think of any anybody besides you. Uh, it has it has been an awesome journey with you. Um, we think about and talk about you all the time in the family. Um, Nicole still remembers when you spent the beginning of that one summer camp uh, working out the song that she wrote so that she could play that on the last day with you guys playing uh, along with her, which uh, made a big impression on her. That's awesome. I, you know, I love little moments like that, and uh, that was special on so many so many levels. But you know, to see the joy in her eyes when we were able to do something like that together, um, it, you know, you don't forget moments like that. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, we've we've just kind of grown over the years. We've done I think I've done four five summer camps up there with you guys, Something and like that, yeah. yeah, I miss a few here few years here and there. But then uh, your youngest daughter Hannah came up and did. Uh, one of our summer camps in the Santa Barbara region last year. Yep. And so then Danny got introduced to um, your family and Hannah and all that. And then, so now Danny's in the picture. Yes. That's me. My daughter was uh, staff at the Santa Barbara youth day. Yeah. And that's where I actually got to meet and talk with Danny for a little while. Yeah. We met outside the bounce houses. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> 
At least it no. wasn't in the bounce houses where I yeah. wanted to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, you know, and and just to speak to your guys's uh, kind of friendship and uh, foundation in faith, because Ryan uh, would always come back from your guys's retreats just so enriched. You could kind of feel that he had had a uh, serious encounter. Uh, with the Lord by spending that week with you guys. And he was really fired up all the time. And he always talked about how excited he was to get back up there. So um, really great stuff uh, going on. And uh, so, yeah, we got to got to meet Hannah. And uh, and I actually talked to your wife on the phone before I met anybody. Uh, she called just to talk. We just talked retreats. And I, I was, you know, that's my favorite thing to talk about. So we just chatted about retreats and, and any way that I could help. And it was it was just great to, to get to know you guys. It's nice to talk to families that keep the Catholic faith as such a prominent thing in the house and in, in your family, it, it's very, very evident that it's, it helps to knit your guys's family together. And as someone that I grew up in a very close knit Catholic family, the same, it, it's just, I know the impact that it can have on, on people. And as evidenced, you know, meeting your daughter who, who gave her all to a, a to our leadership retreat. Uh, and that's a, that's a tough age to kind of connect and have a faith. And I think it's that foundation that you guys put in as parents um, to, to show, you know, that, that, that having faith in your life is a foundation that you need for everything. So that was it was great. Absolutely. We we, we do what we can um, with six kids. It's always a challenge. Um, everyone's in a different place at a different time. But uh, we've always tried to keep the faith uh, our central point. Um, and, uh, you know, you were talking uh, with Shelby on retreats, that's one of her her passions is uh, doing uh, retreats, usually like, you know, a few hour long retreat, not like a weekends or stuff like that. But with the summer camps, we would get in there and the, the goal that Shelby and I had was um, to minister to the staffers that were ministering to the campers because the staffers were running themselves dry and they need to be filled up if they're, if they have any chance to fill anybody else up. And so that's kind of just blossomed into what we do where we can, uh, within the family, around the family with friends. Um, and the young adults have become a, uh, a passion of uh, both Shelby and mine, where we, we, we want to see what we can do to help those that are, in college, just coming out of college to help maintain their faith and and just try to f- figure out where to go in this world. Amen. I love that you said that because I my youth ministry thrives on the fact that I have very active adults and and granted, like they've become some of my best friends because I'm you know closer to age than uh, to them. But, you know, I started in the job at, when I was very young and they those guys were those students in college. Uh, were the rock and I ministered to them so that they can minister to the high school leaders so the high school leaders could minister to the teens that were involved so that that point that you brought up of ministering to your leaders so that they can pour into the young people is so key in ministry that a lot of people I think uh, they miss because and we look back and it's like Jesus ministered to his disciples so that his disciples can minister to the people um, so we, we follow that chain uh, in our ministry so it's amazing it's- that, that I couldn't agree more 
It's a trickle-down system, and that's a beautiful thing, and we see it uh, from the camps to everything that you guys do in your family. Uh, and I saw personally that year that I went back after Jeremy and Ryan split up, and I was I was feeling lost, and that was a mo- one of the most difficult moments. We had only broken up a month before, and I went to that camp, and you guys ministered to me. I felt like I got more out of that camp than anyone else did because like, I was just over uh, overwhelmed with an abundance of prayers and blessings and just absolute love from, from your whole family and the entire camp but i want to say before we get too too far off track because we forget every time oh my gosh we, how do we forget <laughs> we haven't had a guest on for so long but we have two questions that we ask every every guest and we're already you know eight we're nine dirty. minutes in and we haven't asked this question so uh oh my gosh what is, here's the question what is the weirdest funniest most wacky most interesting thing that has happened to you uh during mass during liturgy oh let me tell you um and I do have permission from my son, Patrick, number four, to tell this story. Patrick, number four? Patrick is number four. <laughs> oh, he's not your fourth Patrick. So. No, 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 no. No, no, he's our fourth kid. Um, I, have a, I have another deacon that I was ordained with that calls my kids by number because he can't remember their names. Smart. Um, <laughs> so um, Patrick, when he was probably four-ish, um, we had just moved to Salinas uh, within the last year or two. Um, Shelby had um, had Hannah. She was uh, still an infant. And she took Hannah and Elizabeth to go visit my cousins down where, right next to where you guys uh, used to live, well, where Danny lives and Ryan used to live, um, down in Ojai area. And so this was the first weekend that I was alone with my, with three of my kids, Josh, Nicole, and Patrick. So it was the first time I took the three of them to mass by myself. And I thought I had it all worked out. The way my church is set up, they've got doors with glass panels in them, the vestibule, like I can go, I can sit right there in that back corner, right next to those doors. I'll be able to get through, through the, the, beginning parts of mass when consecration happens after communion i can take patrick out into the vestibule because that's about his limit and nicole and josh can sit right there i can still see them patrick can go and you know run around in circles around the font the baptismal font in the vestibule not disturb anybody i'm like okay i got this down so all goes to plan everything is perfect i'm out there now communion's just finished i'm out in the vestibule patrick's running circles i come watching nicole and and josh and then sister angela comes out of the back room and she sees patrick and she's known us for about a year or so and she comes up to patrick and starts talking to patrick and patrick's you know talking back to her he's my one of my most energetic kids and he's wearing a red shirt and it happened to be a martyr's day and sister angela goes hey you're wearing red just like the priests at this point it's dismissal the priests are coming uh, the priest is coming down with the eucharistic minister that towards the vestibule and patrick's standing at the the water font and he goes yeah and he goes and he pulls down his pants and he goes my underwear are red too (laughs) to a nun 
as the priest is walking out the door to the vestibule. And it's the first weekend they've ever seen me without my wife. They probably nice. think I'm the most incompetent father ever. <laughs> now you're a deacon. That, now I'm a deacon. That is an amazing story. Wow. My underwear red to Love it. It never, never stops making me laugh, even to this day. Wow. Now he's 18. <laughs> wow. Uh, that, is, that is amazing. So then I guess on the point of now, now you're a deacon, uh, we'll jump ahead a little bit. What exact – when did you feel uh, the calling towards the vocation of being a deacon? So there was a priest who was at my parish that is now – down in the south end of the the diocese um and we were in a um a bible study with a bishop from the philippines who comes out every year spends uh about a month to six weeks um covering some of the priests at our parish's vacations and uh, he does bible study whenever he comes out An amazing amazing priest incredible knowledge of the Bible um, and we were doing a reading and uh, Father Edwin um, the priest that was at my he was our pastoral vicar at the time uh, he looked at me while I was reading the the passage we were supposed to read and then we were supposed to discuss in a small group and he looked at me and he goes wow so intent maybe you'll be a deacon someday I I just laughed it off. I'm like, yeah, right, me a deacon? <laughs> not even on my radar, not something I ever want to do. Um, so that's where the seed got planted. It was probably about three or four years later that uh, the deacon at my parish, Deacon Carl, um, approached me and said, hey, in February, we're going to have... Um, a meeting talking about uh, the diaconate and starting a, we're going to start a new formation group in the fall and we're trying to find candidates. Um, are you at it? Uh, are you at all interested? That reminded me of that conversation from, from father Edwin. And um, still at this point, I'm like, yeah, no. Um, but something kept telling me that I, I needed to, I needed to go listen to this, this talk so i at least did that um that was in february um february what year what year is it now it's 2020 so that would have been well, the process the process is six years five years five, five years. years yeah it's it's it, you're you're in the formation for five years um, right the process took a little over six years from when i um applied to it got accepted and all of that it's um, serious business that's, that's yeah. a long time Honestly, the, the first year, uh, I went into it thinking I was only going to do the first year, um, kind of as an inquirer, figure that it wasn't for me. Yeah, like, I'm just auditing. Thank you very much. I'll just check it out. And, and then I'll, you know, <laughs> be on my way. I'll, I'll be done. And what's your like class schedule when you're doing like the diaconate program? Is it like an everyday thing? Is it? So um, it's different in each diocese. Um, in our diocese and um, actually, a lot of the California dioceses, they uh, part of the program is is the same. So, in my diocese, we meet um, 
in the when we're just doing formation and we're not doing the education, which was like the first four or five months, um, we meet uh, every other Saturday for six to seven hours. Um, and uh, then when we got into the academics, which is run uh, for my diocese and a lot of the diocese in California is run through Santa Clara University. Um, it's actually um, master level classes for theology. Yeah, when I saw you one year at camp, you were like going back and forth because you were at classes and you're like, uh, yeah, I'm like deep in it in canon law right now. You want to talk about canon law? I'm like, nope, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, so it was um, that then took over one of our Saturdays. Um, so we only met in the formation one Saturday and then we met in the uh, uh, the Santa Clara University on that other Saturday for six hours. But then we also met online via Zoom every Tuesday for two to four hours. Holy moly. So you guys were OG Zoom before COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using Zoom forever. And now how many other uh, Diakadin students were in your, is it your cohort? Is that what they call it? Yeah, the cohort. Yeah, my cohort, which was named St. Francis. um, uh, We started with 10. We finished with five. Do you guys question? Did you guys give out superlatives? Give out superlatives. What do you mean by that? Isn't that that's like uh, you know most improved, uh, most like most likely to most uh, likely did not make it, but did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, we can't believe you're here, award. <laughs> most li- most likely to douse people or douse like dump a whole jug of holy water, like just random. You guys need to do funny funny superlatives. Let's start let's start doing that for diaconate cohorts. Yeah, I'm gonna maybe we just started a new one in our diocese this year, so maybe if I uh, if I get in there, uh, maybe I'll make that suggestion. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, so another question I have for you just on that same topic is, is say that like somebody was to start the program and then something came up in their life or whatever, can they like put it on pause or is it like you got to do your five years straight or your six years straight? No, you don't have to do it six years, uh, the, the five, six years straight. Um, and in fact, um, there was a gentleman who was, so I'm in the fourth uh, cohort of uh, deacons, permanent deacons that were ordained in the Diocese of Monterey. Okay. There was a gentleman that was in the first cohort that um, had some family things come up like two weeks before ordination. Oh um, my gosh. And so, yeah, literally the finish line. So um, he put, put it on hold and um, he actually came back and joined my cohort for um, a year and a half and then was ordained a year before we were. Remember, two years before we were? Because it's not like you could just come back and be like, yo, let me do my two weeks, and like, bada bing, I'm a deacon. It's like you got to kind of start fresh from that semester, or you might actually things have, when you, because if you drop out, or if you uh, stop college for a while, um, a lot of times the classes don't um, apply, and you have to, or they they don't transfer, they don't apply, so you have to take them again. Yeah, so for the permanent diaconate, we don't actually have to get the the master's degree. Um, you, there's just a certain set of classes that the diocese uh, mandates that you take and pass. Um, 
So uh, as long as you've got that education down, you've passed that part of it. But there's the formation part. I, I, I keep calling it formation because it's all formation. They're, they just don't know a better word to call it. If you guys are just listening, he was doing quote quotations yeah. in the air for, for, for everything. <laughs> I started doing it all on YouTube, so I forget that you guys do yeah, audio. I think the majority, the majority of our listeners are just audio only. Nobody can stand the look of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not improving the look today. But that you have an epic, you have an epic beard, and you've been growing that for a while. I mean, we got our little baby quarantine beards going on, but yours is like massive. So, well, uh, I, and I just shaved it last week. That is that is impressive, my friends. But, uh, anyways, with the um, with the formation, um, there's an important part to uh, the actual ordination process is that the bishop turns and asks the um the the director of diaconate formation do you deem them worthy and he has to say that i deem them worthy there's a there's a sentence i forget exactly how it's, but it's it's like i with the uh with the people of God have deemed that these candidates are worthy. So wow. it's kind of a serious thing. You know, the Bishop hmm. looks him in the eyes and says, do you deem them worthy? So you can't just come in and, uh, have a diaconate director say, okay, I'll ordain you. Especially cause I don't think we've had a cohort yet that has started and finished under the same diaconate director and the same bishop every there's been a change between each one really right. wow well i mean and it's it's that's very uplifting i think in a lot of aspects that that they do take that that role of being the person responsible for saying yeah like these people are ready for this uh, because as a confirmation director, sometimes I struggle with that, you know, because with the it's a very different sacrament, obviously. But the that the the bishop will come and they'll say, "Are these candidates prepared for confirmation?" And I go, "Yep, I, sure," <laughs> you know, and, and maybe it's like seventy percent of them are. Hope on a good year. Um, you know, but we're just like, it, and they're it, like, "All right, this they look ready to me. Let's do it." Yeah. Well, that's my fear is whenever the bishop goes, all right, I'll ask you guys a few questions. And I go, oh, please, God, be with them. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's uplifting to me that it's not just like a, a deacon farm, you know, where we're just kind of like uh, pushing You get out. to be a deacon and you yeah, get to be a know, deacon. <laughs> just like if you pay your fee and you get a stole, you're in. Um, but uh, it's, it, it's uplifting to me that it's taken so seriously, at least in, that, in the diocese that you were a part of. Yeah, well, and in in all of the United States, it's a minimum of a five year process. Awesome. So wow. that you know that comes from the USCCB. So. Yeah, if you right. had like if you had one amazingly spiritual weekend at, at like a at a, at a retreat, uh, Crucio or something like that, you come back, you're on fire, like guys, I'm gonna be a deacon, and like five years is a long time. If it's if if that was a if that was a one-off weekend, you're going to have plenty of time to cool down if, you, if that really wasn't your vocation. So yeah. I, think, I think that's... The, the five years, I mean, there's, there were a few times I almost walked away from it. Um, and wow. every time 
I got to that point where I'm like, I, I just, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to do this anymore. God made it very apparent that this is where he wanted me. Never, yeah. it still hasn't told me why. Um, I'm still like, why, why am I doing this sometimes? Um, and, uh, you know, I had, um, as part of the formation process, you go through these things called the scrutinies. Um, horrible, horrible name. Um, it's not that, not as bad as it sounds. It sounds like, like a scrut- punishment. Like it's time for the well, scrutinies like this- today, boys. <laughs> Well, like the scrutinies are during Lent, like the last three, the third, the third, fourth, and fifth week of Lent. Yeah, there's the scrutinies, which are the 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 rites that they do during Mass. But in right. this case, the scrutinies it happens twice a year, every year throughout the formation, and you get set down in front of a panel of uh, clergy, lay people, um, diocesan workers, um, and uh, they ask you questions about your formation, about how you're doing. And in the case of a permanent de- uh, deacon, if you're married, your wife is with you and they ask them questions. Is it just super nerve wracking? Uh, the first one was. Um, and then at that point, I decided, you know what, it's not worth being nervous over. So the rest of them weren't that bad for me. That reminds me of a. Uh of what's called juries when I was in music school every semester that you have to go in for juries and it's all of the music staff uh, that was like if I was a piano student so all of the piano staff and all and my teachers and everything they would all be in a panel and you'd walk in the room you'd have to dress up in a suit and tie and they go and they have like forms with you uh, with what you worked on for the whole semester and then they go all right you've been working on here let's see all these scales uh, give me a a flat major and four octaves go. And you're like, oh my gosh. And you go and you fumble through it. And then like, all right. And uh, let me hear some of the Bach that you've been working on. And you, and then you get like a third of the way through They go, okay, thank you. Let's hear the Beethoven now. And like the first time I did it, my fingers were literally shaking like this. And I could, I was fumbling off the keys. Cause like I was so nervous, but by the, by the third or fourth time, you're like, you know, I'm, re- I'm either ready or I'm not. So it is what it is. Yeah. During that, the, during one of the scrutinies, um, actually, it was, in the, it was in the second year. Um, one of the, uh, she was actually a nun. She asked me, what do you see your diaconate? What does your diaconate look like to you? And I had to tell her at that point, I said, you know what? I, I don't really know. I haven't thought that far into the future. I've only thought about what am I dealing with today, taking it one day at a time. And so I contemplated that over the next well actually it was a year because the the next scrutinies i happened to be on a business trip and um i was on a plane when they were doing the scrutiny so i missed that one um and i went back to her and i said you know sister last year you asked me what what i thought my diaconate would be like and i said i've had a year to think about that and to pray on it and as i have what god has told me is that you're not to know what your diaconate is going to be. I'm going to show you what it is today, but every day it's going to change. There isn't an end to your diaconate. It will continue to grow. It will continue to move forward. You don't need to know the end. You just need to know what is now. And look at the beauty to that answer, because if you had like this definitive answer, this is what God's calling me uh, to my diaconate um, life, 
Well, everything is changed or everything changed and will change now. So like that answer really speaks to what we're going through right now and what we, what we will be going through come the other side of this pandemic. Right. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. You know what I was kind of hoping though is you say, I thought you were going to say that you did your interview like on the airplane, <laughs> like you were, like you were doing, you were doing the whole panel, and so someone else is looking, someone else is looking over like, can you can you quiet down? I'm trying to sleep right here. Uh, anyways, uh, we got to take a quick break, but I do want to hear. I want to ask you as soon as we get back, um, your your favorite and your least favorite parts of the deacon program before we get into your actual um, once you became a deacon. So let's take a break and we'll talk about that. Okay, uh, we're back, and we want to ask Todd. We are here with Todd Fredrickson, our deacon on the show. We want to ask you your favorite parts and your least favorite parts of the deaconate program. So let's start with your favorite part. Your favorite part, yeah, let's just stick with that. Let's stick with that. So my favorite part would have to be, um, honestly, the community that was formed uh, amongst the the candidates uh, in the cohort. Um on paper some of us should have been mortal enemies we are so different personality wise political wise um that that we are so different but we grew together both the wives and um the the candidates we grew together and we still the five of us that were ordained we still uh we still talk regularly um, three of us uh, are uh, usually texting each other uh, weekly. Um, and at our ordination, uh, the five of us that were ordained, the other five that dropped out all came to our ordination. Awesome. Um, so it was, we grew together so much that that was probably the most incredible part of all of it. And it's a whole different community um so you know we have we have the the multiple communities we live in our families our church life our work life um this was a whole new family that i had never even thought could exist it's it's amazing what can happen when you have a common foundation rooted in christ the people that you would never expect to be bringing to be brought together um it's a beautiful thing to see. Well, and, and that word community, we like to use that word community a lot on this show uh, because of the importance of it in our Catholic faith is it is so incredibly intertwined in our faith is that level of community that we all we all need, you know, and, and you, you spoke to it really, really beautifully that there's so many different forms of community, even in my like our jobs uh, that we do. Ryan has a different community with each choir that he, he uh, ministers to each different choir is a different community. Me, it's, I have the community of my college ministry, the community of my high school ministry, the community of my staff, the community of my parish at large. There's so many different communities and that you were able to kind of find that brotherhood in that community of, uh, of candidates uh, through that process is really, really cool. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it was a wonderful thing. I, I, I still, I mean, the feelings I have for, for, the guys and their wives um was amazing awesome Awesome. okay so community favorite part least favorite part let's hear it um old testament (laughs) 
like you like like Old Testament hey, wrath. That's that my you're least favorite down. part of Bible study. So, <laughs> I know that sounds bad when you say it just like that, but here's the 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 reality to it was that um, it actually wasn't called Old Testament. It was called Hebrew Bible, which is the appropriate name, but. Um, the tet the tetragrammaton am I is am I right in that? Uh, well, that's a part of it, I think, isn't it? Because the Pentateuch's the first five books. Then yeah, I don't know. There's, right. there's a lot. Um, okay. But the biggest problem that I had with it was that all of the classes at Santa Clara University are ten weeks long. So New Testament was ten weeks long. And Old Testament was 10 weeks long. Have you looked at the size of the Old Testament <laughs> compared to the New Testament? It's vastly different. Yeah, that's brutal. Vastly, vastly more. It's like the New Testament is like 25% of what the Old Testament is in size. Right. It was, that class was 40 to 50 hours a week of yeah. reading and writing. I had to oh write 60 gosh. pages in 10, in 10 weeks. That's brutal. Yeah, and even because the Old Testament or the New Testament, you know, four of the books are pretty much the same story, just in a, di in a different way. <laughs> With the Old Testament, everything is different. Yeah, so it that was the, that was probably the the hardest ten weeks of my life was getting through that. Wow. I think we read just about the entire Old Testament in ten weeks and wrote on every book. Yeesh, better you than wow. me. Yeah, um, I was like, I've read I've read the whole Bible through one time, and it took me like a year. <laughs> So, well, and in that class, we also looked at some of the books that aren't in the Roman canon. Um, we looked at the ones that are in the Ethiopian canon and stuff like that, include things wow. like Maccabees three and four. So there, there were. So like the, well, no, the, yeah, not the books, not, not the gospels like there, cause there's the apocryphal gospels, but we're talking the books that they were, that were just not included in the Roman so there's the Apocrypha, which is the, the parts that aren't in the – they weren't originally written in Hebrew, so they're not part of the Hebrew Bible, but like Maccabees 1 and 2, it's an important part of, of Judaism, but it's not part of their, 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 their Hebrew Bible. Um, there are additional books that um, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't have in – the, in the Bible, but if you go to the Ethiopian Catholic Church, they have some other ones. Thrilling, thrilling, so thrilling, guys! If uh, comment in if you want full two-part episode on Maccabees one and two, <laughs> we'll make you relive that ten weeks online. <laughs> uh, okay, so so I had a follow-up question, but I think you already answered one of said follow-up questions, which would be your f uh, favorite and least favorite classes. So you comboed the least favorite with your class. So I'm assuming, right? So then uh, give me your, your most, your, your favorite class that you took. Uh, so I'm torn between two of them. The theology of marriage. Marriage is a huge, huge thing uh, for me. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever told you or not, Ryan, but, you know, Shelby and I are both converts. We converted 21 years and 27 days ago, but who's counting? Um, the um, 
when we entered into marriage, we entered into it with all the wrong thoughts. Um, we thought it was temporary just until, you know, until it didn't feel good anymore. And then you move on. Um, and I can say it's the Catholic church and coming to the Catholic church together and them teaching us what marriage is about that saved our marriage. And so that is the, the, the most, um, important thing in, in my life next to God is, is my marriage. Um, so that class was amazing. The other class that I really liked that I thought I was going to absolutely despise was church history because I hated history in school because they wanted you to remember the dates, the times and the names. And that was never the important part about history. It was more about why, what happened rather than who did it on what day. Um, right. So church history fascinated me. And we had this book, and it was a 600-page book, and the teacher uh, apologized. He goes, I'm sorry that it's such a big book. And I went, are you crazy? It's 600 pages. That's less than one page per year. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah. I never thought of it that way. I yeah. mean, the history of the Catholic Church is just amazing. That's awesome. So I got a lot more history that I want to go study. Awesome. I, I have a question on uh, preparing a – so once we, we, we're, we're going to – the next phase of what we're going to talk to you about is now once you became a deacon, once you got ordained and how, and how life went. And the biggest thing I always wonder about is how nerve-wracking or struggling – or do you struggle with it or not uh, – preparing a homily for like Sunday masses because – I have to when I when Ryan and I prepare like talks and stuff, it, it's sometimes it is like a pain in the butt. It's it's a uh, pain, depending but on like, the theme. But it's it's easier because usually we can just be like we're gonna just wing it because what we're talking about right. is we just kind of relate our stories and we create metaphors uh, to help bring people to to their faith. But right. a homily has a much different um, goal. And you need to be deeply rooted in the scriptures, in the gospel, in the readings of that day, and and have a lot more knowledge well, and do your homework. Yeah. Right, because a homily and like a sermon are like two different things. Like someone just speaking from their heart is not this. A homily has to be based upon the readings that that they just heard. So it's got to be a lot more of uh, you got to do your homework a lot more, I guess. Yeah. So the. Um... Yeah, I fret over homilies. Um, it's probably the hardest part um, for me, but yet at the same time, one of the most rewarding. Um, my process does take a week. Um, I start by reading the Gospels, uh, the Gospel for the following week, um, as soon as I finish my last Sunday Mass the week before. Um, and... I will spend two to three days reading and listening to that. Um, the USCCB has the readings for the day uh, in a, a single audio file. So you can go through all of the readings of the mass. And um, so I'll read it a couple of times. I'll go to the, U the USCCB and I'll just sit there and I'll just lay in bed and I'll just push the play button, have the phone on my chest, close my eyes and listen to it. And then when it's finished, I'll just hit the play button again, and I'll do that oh several gosh, times. Wow. 
uh, and just listen and listen and listen. Um, sometimes I'll fall asleep while listening to it. I'll wake up and I'll just hit play again. Um, just trying to listen for what does God want me to hear. Um, mm -hmm. Then usually Tuesday, Wednesday time frame, um, I'll, I'll try to identify what the pearl is. Um, the one the one point that I want to polish very, very well so that uh, hopefully the congregation will will hear that and take that <clears throat> home. That speaks very loudly to your values and how much importance you put on this position of being a deacon rather than somebody else who might just go, Oh, it's Saturday. I got the homily tomorrow. Let me just copy Bishop Barron's and try not to plagiarize him too much. <laughs> Take his highlights. Yeah. Well, you know, and I try to, I try to do, uh, make it personal. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm a married deacon. I got six kids. Uh, I work, um, you know, I work in computers. Um, I have a lot of outside church excuse me, a lot of outside church experience that I try to bring into um, my homily somehow. Some story, some example, some place that, that uh, uh, hits the mark with, with the pearl that I'm, you know, trying to polish. I think that's, that's just it. Is, is to, for me, what, what a great homily is, is putting all of this together. It's those personal stories, whether they're from your life or a lot of times you hear Father Mike Schmitz tell stories of other people that he's heard, that he's encountered or whatever, but you hear these personal stories that draw you in to the humanity of, of and the, the, the real uh, presence of, of just that, that, that personal touch. And then you relate that to the Gospels in a, in a real way, in a tangible way. And so now, instead of just being this, this uh, alienating thing that we like, oh, there's just this, these, these books that we can't really relate to. It's like that you bring them close to us, to our reality here with these stories, with this person, with this personality to it, but rooted in that history and that knowledge uh, in the scriptures. I think it's all about relatability um, because we, you need that, especially like I work in youth ministry and you have to be able to relate this, the stories of the gospel to a way that they can tan tangibly identify with what's going on. And I think that that's even, that doesn't just go for teenagers. That goes for anyone. The parishioners that are sitting in the pews that work in all kinds of different jobs and have all kinds of different struggles and things that they need to be, uh, they need something tangible they can hold on to. Not everyone can relate to what was going on 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. So we need to find a way to bring that message that Jesus wanted uh, to the life uh, that people are living today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, having an understanding of the context of what the, the, the story was and related to um, and how the, the things worked in that time. Um, who was the author, who was the audience it was written for. All of that is important, and that's what makes the, the, the Bible timeless. And that even though we're hearing stories of something that happened 2,000 years ago, it applies to today. Um, when my wife and I converted uh, 21 years ago, 
um, she wanted to come back to church, and I told her anything but Catholic um, because I had been raised that Catholic was corrupt. Um, that's a whole nother story. I'll tell you some, uh, some other podcast. Um, but for my children, because we had two children at the time, I said, I've got to figure out what my wife is doing so that I can do as much of it as I'm comfortable with so that my kids are going, why does mommy do this? But daddy doesn't. Um, and in going to the RCIA and attending mass, um, the things that were happening in the, the classes and in the, the, the masses every week were so directly uh, related to exactly what was going on in my life that week and sometimes drastically different things um, that it was only about six weeks into the RCIA process that I'm like, oh, holy cow, God, God really wants me to come here. Um, and that's what started my journey towards becoming a Catholic. Boom. Wow, that's, and now that's incredible. What a, what a great story. And so like he led you there, you became a Catholic and entered into the deaconate program. Boom. You're a deacon. You're still a baby deacon. You had your first year almost complete, but now things have radically changed. Sorry, we're fast forwarding again. Cause we're almost, I mean, time gets away from us here on, on two Catholic dudes as, as you guys know, if you listen in regularly. Uh, but so I'd like to just pivot one last time and talk about how things have radically changed again in your life through this COVID-19 uh, coronavirus outbreak. And like what, uh, you know, the short period of being a deacon, how, it has, how has it changed for you during this time and what are you doing differently, if anything, like what can you do um, and, and then what we think it might be afterwards? So, yeah, things changed pretty quickly. Um, I also had a, uh, a personal family issue come up uh, the same week that Shelter in Place came into play. So um, I ended up 70 miles away from my parish for um, over a month um, but it was it was a quick transition into how do we uh, continue to do what we need to do to now there's no mass there's no communion there's no anybody getting into the church you can't do like drive-by baptisms or anything like that <laughs> you know we're still trying to figure out how to do the sacraments um, uh, you know, when are we going to be able to do the baptisms, confirmations and all of that, uh, weddings and funerals, um, you know, how do you do that right now with, you know, California saying you can only have 10 people. Oh, I mean, there's more than 10 people in the wedding party usually. Um, right. right. So how do you do those things? Um, so, uh, it, it's a struggle to figure out where we're going to go with all of those things. Um, and we're trying to figure out how can we do um, some of the smaller ones, uh, not smaller in uh, their importance, but smaller in number, like how can we do confession? Um, uh, how can we, how can we start to get communion distributed? Um, uh, there's going to be a lot of, trying to figure that out over the next few weeks and as they start to open things up how are we going to be able to uh allow you know only say 40 people into the church what happens to 
the next, you know, 120 that are lined up, you send them away that, you know, how, how are you going to handle that? Right. So, so there could be uh, expanded roles uh, for deacons during these times, the, you know, things that you guys have never done for, for all of us, for all of us that are involved in ministry. I'm doing different things outside of music. You're doing different things outside of youth ministry, Danny. And so uh, God's calling on us all to step outside our box, to step up to the challenge, to step up to the plate and really, uh, really minister to shepherd, shepherd the flock in ways that we, we could have never expected, but that... Um, that are necessary yeah now nearly every church in at least our diocese and i'm looking you know it seems like most dioceses have at least gotten the masses online yes are you guys doing that yes we are um daily mass and then we do a spanish and english mass on 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 sundays um so um i get those posted on our website as soon as the live streams feed now let me ask you because i know how much you love preaching have you done any reflections or homilies that you guys could post on your website or on Facebook or on your YouTube page? I have not yet. Um, so far, it's only been the priests that have done the masses at my parish. Um, and like I said, I was gone for a month. I, I've only been back in Salinas for a little over a week now. So um, I'm trying to figure out how to get myself back inserted into the parish as well as um, trying to make sure I'm keeping myself safe because I need to right. take care of my elderly I mean, parents. I'm just thinking uh, it could be as simple as you just record something right here from your phone, send it to them. They post it on the Facebook page. But uh, this morning I recorded at my parish uh, for about four hours. I had people staggered in and they did, uh, I did little pieces of reflections from uh, my assist, associate pastor, um, one of our retired priests that help out, are three of our deacons and our religious ed staff and two of our deacons were like we're horrible preachers we we don't really like doing uh, homilies we don't feel that anyone enjoys them i said that does not matter people people love you for who you are what you do say matters i know you might not be the most eloquent uh speaker you might not be the most engaging but what you say absolutely matters to somebody and but people feel comforted by seeing their clergy not just their pastor but their entire clergy and even if it's just a quick message of hope or a quick reflection on what's going on i think it's important for all the clergy to get involved during this time yeah we have not started doing stuff like that at my parish yet um it's one of the things i think we're gonna start talking about um shelby and i um do a zoom rosary every monday night Good. um so we've started that i'm looking at trying to figure out how to do some kind of liturgy of the hours thing um uh, online see if i can get a community for that um it's always the delayed audio that's the biggest challenge to deal with though <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, and, and and the online efforts are tough, and, and and we get we just did a whole episode. Our last episode was on mass production, and because Ryan and I both have kind of fallen into the positions of uh, that person at the parish to kind of get things get things going, and and I'm trying to do a virtual. I just got before we jumped on the the call tonight. I was on a virtual youth ministry night with you know 40 teenagers on Zoom. And uh, it, it, it's doing the best that we can. And I think that it's great. And it was our deacons at our parish are once one every, like they're scheduled sporadically, obviously, to assist with mass. Uh, it, so it's just the deacon, the priest and me and at mass. And uh, so it, it's been it's been great to see 
people of the faith in all facets really step up during this time. All right. So well, we want to try to keep this under an hour so we don't have to break again. We're almost there, but we do have, we do have some, uh, an additional question that we ask every guest. So Mr. Todd, what is your favorite board game? So, um, I hope this isn't in bad taste because, um, I've had this for many, many years. It's not new. It's pandemic. <laughs> I have multiple all of them. versions <laughs> of oh <my> pandemic. <laughs> wow. And I don't even have all of them. <laughs> the cure was the last one, the cure. I... Yeah, this one's the pandemic, the cure. Oh my God. This is a dice game where wow. all of these other ones are, are more like a board game. The thing I like about the Pandemic series, it's cooperative. It's all of the players against the board. It's a very interesting style of gameplay. That's precisely why Danny and I's game group at one point didn't like those games because we like games that want to drive us apart. Yeah, and we, we, we want to go we, at each other. We want to throw things at each other. <laughs> but no, no, that's not for today. It's just funny. I mean, uh, I, I you know scrolling on Netflix, you're like. Why is everyone watching Outbreak with Dustin yeah, Hoffman it's... and uh, and was that movie with the that other pandemic movie? I'm like, you guys, come on. Yeah, that's that's the number one trend right now. Is everyone like the most watched show on Netflix is called Pandemic? So it's yeah. No, I've avoided all of those, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I do like the board games. Yeah, just play the games. You play cooperative games. I did find out. Um, I, tr- I did like a digital board game night. I, t- I think I told you guys on the podcast a couple weeks ago with a couple friends of mine, but I did it where I had to like, I had three cameras like overhead to see the board game because it's like this extravagant board uh, and it was the only way they could see it. I had light shining on the board. It was nonsense. And then I found out there's a, a website called Board Game Arena where you could literally, they have like digital versions of the boards and you can play. So the last couple of weeks we just did that instead where we just went on a Zoom chat and we each played the game online. <laughs> uh, so and so as we end, I, I, would, I was wondering, uh, Dean Todd, if you would, if someone was say discerning uh, the diaconate program or looking into if if that was what God was calling them to do, what would be your advice that you would give to them for someone who's thinking about it or on the fence of of that call? Well, I think you have to, if you even have the inkling of the call, you have to um, at least entertain it. You have to, you know obviously pray on it, uh, talk to your wife. Um, your wife is one of the people that has a unanimous or a, uh, unilateral veto. If the Bishop says, asks her, do you want to become a deacon? She says, no, you don't get ordained. Um, uh, talk to your children if you have children. Um, but you have to entertain it and, and at least go through the interview process. Uh, go through the the beginning of the formation. Just because you start the formation doesn't mean you have to finish it. Um, I've I have personally seen in the two cohorts that were running while I was in there. I've seen nine people drop out. So um, uh, you don't have to finish it. It's not like you signed up and you're like, oh geez, what did I get myself into? Um, you will not know you're going to be a deacon until the bishop lays his hands on your head. Um, so uh talk uh, get a good spiritual director um i can't can't stress 
how much a spiritual director is important and should be in everybody's life, not just a deacon or a clergy. Um, uh, work with them, talk to them, uh, go to confession regularly um, because it's much easier to have a conversation with God if you've got that weight off your back. Um, and, you know, mostly talk to your spouse. Wonderful. We have we have one minute left, so right, we're, we're on the that, wire. So let's wrap it up. That's a great, great, great answer, uh, Todd. This is uh, wonderful. I'm I'm so happy you were able to come on. Uh, your our first clergy member on the show. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, we're so proud of you and happy for your uh, diaconate, for your whole family, for just for you guys being a part of our extended family at this point. Um, we wish you all the best and continued health and safety during these uh, trying times. Uh, as always. I guess I, I, we do have a minute now, but I was, because uh, <laughs> uh, now we can plug our social media as always. So uh, if you guys want to check us out on social media at in, uh, Instagram at two Catholic dudes, underscore two Catholic dudes, find us on Facebook um, and patreon.com. Todd, the, the Fredericksons are one of our uh, amazing supporters on Patreon. So if you guys want to support us financially, thank you, Todd and your family for doing that so generously uh, you guys can find us on there uh and connect with us we got mugs coming as soon as this is we can't order them right now because this is yeah, all i going can't down, order but, them because they're made in china yeah but they're they're coming soon so once this is all wrapped up you guys are going to get your mugs so hit us up for that uh, hit us up for future topics guys we're running out we, we're like when we started this thing we're like oh we'll write down 12 topics we'll make this happen and like we're on episode number 40 so we well, gotta, we're trying to do it we're trying to do a show every week so every week throw some topics at us let's make it happen guys Guys, I hope you're all staying safe there. Uh, We're going to get through this together. We're praying for you. We're with you. But uh, as always, God bless and peace. peace.